0: Everybody, Welcome to Stuff Said with Greg Shiegel I am the host of this show My name is Greg Shiegel On this show, I talk to people in the world of comics, cartooning, etc I myself am a cartoonist Maybe we get a little inside baseball But hopefully it's interesting just the same Hopefully you find there's enough context clues and things going on where you go Alright, I understand what they're talking about They're talking about... uh being creative people, or writing, or drawing, or retail. On today's show, I am talking to a comic book writer, a man named Jay Ferber. Jay Ferber, I had the the honor of drawing his first comic book at Marvel Comics, an issue of the series What If, the final issue of that series, and he went on to write all kinds of stuff for Marvel, and for DC, and eventually his own creator-owned projects, most notably Noble Causes and Dynamo 5 at Image Comics, and his current series is called Near Death, also published by Image Comics. Most recently, Jay has been writing in television. He wrote on the TV show Ringer, it was on the CW network, which I enjoyed uh, quite a bit. Unfortunately, as of this recording, it seems that Ringer is not getting its second season. I still say you should go check it out. It's a fun show. You'll hear us talk about it, and there's actually a little bonus audio on the website where we talk more about it. Anyway, I've known Jay for a long time, obviously since since his first comic book work at Marvel, and there was a part of me that that thought this is going to be a real nostalgia fest on the level of a, of a Brian Smith two-parter, but it actually we do cover some nostalgic bits and pieces, but. Then we, we really talk about the creative process and, and working in comics and working in creator own comics and working in TV. And with all of that explaining about what we're about to talk about, here's Jay and I talking about all that stuff. We want all of it. On off the wall. We're not talking name. We're not talking day. But we're talking about, Jam Master Jay. You, sir are the first person I've ever seen use R-O-T-F-L-M-A-O. I am? Yes. (laughs) And you had to explain to me what it was.
1: I don't even remember that. We
0: were IMing back in the olden days. Okay. It would have been 1998, I guess. Yeah. And uh, you typed that, and I'm like, I don't know what this means. I have no idea. (laughs) And you explained it to me. I wish
1: I could claim credit for it, but I just saw someone else do it.
0: As far as I'm concerned, you invented it. (laughs) All right. All right. I'll,
1: uh, I'll let you believe that.
0: Your break-in into comics, aside from being What If 114, mm-hmm. which was our collaboration. That was
1: our origin story. That's yeah.
0: your origin. I, I had a couple of books in the bank. Oh,
1: that's right. You did have... You had like a Silver Surfer. I
0: had a Silver Surfer. I had yeah. two other issues of What okay. If. Okay. Okay. You sort of broke in by talking to Frank Pitteri's on AOL about yeah. soap operas.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: How did that... Was this like a soap opera news group?
1: It was. I had read, because Frank at the time had just moved from DC to Marvel. Right. And in some interview he gave, he mentioned that he liked soap operas or, or something.
0: And He talks, he mentions that all the time. Yeah, well, of course. It's no secret. He's going <laughs> yeah. to tell you anything.
1: Uh, and I was, I had already had like a foot in the door at DC and Marvel with, at DC it was Ali Morales who was in a, assistant or an associate editor over there and at marvel it was mark powers but neither one of them neither one had actually given me work they had looked at my work and given me feedback sure. and you know one of these days and so you know i was looking to exploit any opening i could and when i saw frank mention soap operas I, at the time i was watching general hospital every day and uh so i i guess i wrote him an email on aol and just Introduced myself and said that I had been talking to Mark Powers just to give myself some kind of legitimacy. Sure, And I was like, oh, I watch soap operas, too. What do you watch? And it turned out he watched General Hospital, and we talked about that. And then I guess he ended up calling me once just to bullshit. And then, you know, we got along, and within, I don't know what the time frame was, um, maybe a month or two, he offered me what if. And that was my first gig at Marvel.
0: And was the the pitch for 114... The like the the pitch you sent? Or did you send like a series of? No, ifs? it was actually his idea, I think, or or someone at Marvel. I don't know if it was Frank specifically, mm-hmm. but it was not
1: my idea to do that story. It was like we want to do this story. What if Secret Wars? You know, if they were stuck twenty there. years later or whatever it was. You know, what do you think about that? Okay, I, I don't remember if I had to like pitch my take on that, or if it was just mine to run with. I, I honestly don't remember.
0: And did you know at the time that that would be the last issue? Because I, I don't think. Did you? I don't remember.
1: I I think so. I would assume so. But now that you're calling it into doubt, maybe I didn't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, here's what I remember: that Frank had gotten this pitch, and there was there was a generation break of people that love Secret Wars and people that hated Secret Wars. I loved it, and Frank showed me this pitch, and I was like, "This sounds awesome." And I was not even in contention for this thing. I was working on something else, Mm -hmm. and I just started feeding him character designs. Oh, for the kids and yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is what I think of for Crusader. This is what I think of for Mustang." And I think he called – I mean, you might know better than I would. You might have even had somebody who wanted to draw it. Hmm. Um, but I think he tried like three or four other people. Okay, yeah. Before he finally said, I like your character designs. Do you want to draw it? I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. He's like, it's 32 pages, no ads. <laughs> you have a day job. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. That's right. It was longer, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, 32, yeah. no ads, man. Oh, That's nice. <laughs> well, for me, I mean, it's it... – <laughs> It was fine for me. I actually penciled seven pages in a week. Oh, my God. Of that God. book with the day job. With the day job. It was Battle Planet. Yeah. There were no backgrounds. Right. It was a breeze. Yeah, true.
1: True. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just desert landscapes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
0: fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Draw that any time. <laughs> but really quickly after that issue, mm-hmm. because Frank became like your patron yeah. over at Marvel, yeah. you were
1: yeah. off yeah. like a rocket. It was It was pretty quick. I did that. I did a fill-in on Generation X for Frank, and then it was there was kind of a bake-off for Generation X, and it was me and... I think Joe Harris and maybe Joe Casey. All the young dudes. I don't know, all the young dudes, yeah. And I, I, I lucked out and uh got Generation well, X. Well I think first you series.
0: I think you and Frank certainly had that soap opera. Yeah, we thing. had similar sensibilities. And, and certainly you, helped. He loved yeah. that. I mean he had done Young Heroes in Love, right. which was all soap yep. operatic and you were clearly yep. coming from that place. Yeah. Um so you got Gen X and New Warriors. You yeah. were relaunching New Warriors at the same time. Yeah, yep.
1: Yeah. And that was that was a little bit later. I had Generation X for I don't know how long I was on that before New Warriors. But it wasn't like that
0: much longer? I feel like it it all happened in comic time relatively quickly. In
1: comic time relatively quickly, but from my recollection it was six months maybe. Which again is very quick. In comic time. But at the same time I I I already had one monthly series when I got New Warriors. I had been on Generation X for a couple of issues at least. And New Warriors took a long time to develop because it went through like three editors before it even got off the ground.
0: Yeah, because it, it ended up landing with Bobby Chase.
1: Right. But it was I was initially approached by Julio Soto. Sure. I forget who was it, like... Uh, he was with Tim Toohey. Tim Toohey, who I never even... I don't think I ever spoke to him. <laughs> it was like Julio, and then... In Julio like the, was a big New Warriors guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and in the great kind of one of those big purges where they yes. let a bunch of editors go. 98. Yeah, that was right after I... We, he and I started talking. And mm-hmm. then, it, then it went to Frank, and it was Frank and Pete Franco... And we were sure. working on it for a little while, and then <laughs> it went to uh, Bobby Chase. That's right. where it ended Bobby up. Bobby Chase and Smitty. And Smitty. Yep. Sure. Yep. But and then, but so I have like half a dozen New Warriors pitches of various lineups and various takes for each different editor that I worked with.
0: Were you happy with the one that ended up?
1: Yeah, I mean, all things considered, yeah, it wasn't you know the. Uh, I don't know that it was my dream team, but it mm-hmm. was it was good. It worked. It was. I think it was more realistic and not in terms of the style of storytelling. But I think one of my pitches had like nine characters, which is a lot for an ensemble cast, especially for a pretty green writer like me to handle. And then the lineup we ended up having was I think six, which is a little more sounds manageable. about right. Yeah. It was
0: essentially the original group.
1: Yeah, minus Justice and Firestar, and in right, place we because they had, were Avengers. Yeah, we had Aegis and Bolt. And, right uh, yeah
0: also at that same time mm-hmm. while you were we'll use the phrase blowing up <laughs> okay you were partnered in a in a manner of speaking with devin Grayson and brian k vaughn yeah you yeah, guys had, had formed little... 2k comics right
1: which was just
0: a banner yeah yeah but how did you guys become because devin and brian were in new york Mm -hmm. And you were in Seattle. So, how did you guys pool together? How did you even come to know each other?
1: It was, uh, I had known Devin before either of us broke into comics from Teen Titans fan groups and stuff. So, she and I went way back. Yeah, yeah. And then I met Brian. Again, he had broken in, I think, a little bit before me. And I read an interview with him somewhere about his, you know, Kazar Annual or or whatever Mm -hmm. fill in issue he was doing. And I guess for some reason, I was just hungry to meet other writers and sure. stuff. And I shot, shot him an email and we ended up hitting it off. And I had come to New York, I think, to visit Devin and ended up meeting Brian for lunch one day or something. And we just hit it off as well. And then, you know, through, uh, I was the common denominator between those two. They, and we had just started hanging out and I moved to New York not too long after that. It was not too long after I got New Warriors and I moved to New York, I guess.
0: No, I remember the, all of us hanging out at yeah. least one or two nights. We'd yeah. all go out to the bar and yeah. draw on placemats and just sort of have a, a grand fun. old time. And I want Sounds to talk fun. about that period mm-hmm. because it, like, you were getting work, Devin was growing up, Brian was sort of coming up slower. Yeah, yeah, but he was coming up <laughs> slow and, but steady. Yeah, slow but yeah. <laughs> steady, and he sort of went a little bit of a di- You know, he wasn't <laughs> doing as much superhero stuff, but mm-hmm. he sort of, you know, he's doing Swamp Thing. Swamp
1: and, Thing was his big kind of breakout, I which guess.
0: I thought was great. Yeah, I mean, I'd never read a Swamp Thing book. Yeah, but um. I don't know. I think back on that time, mm-hmm. and, and you might have this a different take, but I I feel like it's it was it was like an energy. Yeah, like it was really exciting. Yeah, and it almost felt like we were about to inherit something big. <laughs> totally, totally. And then we sort of didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like it's like we right. all like what if one fourteen was people liked it. Well, yeah, there was that talk of the sequel that we were going to do a sequel. And, yeah. it was pitched. I was doing yep. designs, and yeah, just sort of like year 2000 came around Mm -hmm. 2k yeah (laughs) and and again you were still working and devon was working and brian was going going sky sky high yeah but what was it like because i know what it was like for me you know you moved to new york is is Mm -hmm. did you feel that feeling of like this is this is i did and at the same time i think if anything looking
1: back on it you know trying to not that you asked but trying to answer like why didn't things blow up Mm -hmm. for me at that time and i think i just said yes to everything (laughs) any any assignment that came my way Mm -hmm. you know because it's still new and i'm excited and it's these characters of you know oh oh a superman annual like 80 page giant hell yeah yeah I'll, i'll do that i'll bang that thing out and uh you know the money's good you know when you're single and you have no kids and no you know it's uh it was great but you know i i would and, and sometimes I see other young creators making that same mistake where they just, they're suddenly doing everything. They have mm-hmm. like three or four Marvel series and it's just like, careful, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just uh, pace yourself. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was, that was my thing. I think I should have been more selective rather than taking every fill in or every assignment that, that came my way.
0: Now, I, I I also remember you and I talking quite a bit mm-hmm. about working on stuff. Beyond, you know, we did the what if we did an issue of Generation X, right? But you had a few interesting. I mean, one you had you you were you were hung up on Jack of Hearts.
1: Oh yes, yes.
0: And I actually tried to draw that thing, and that I was like, I can't. Jay, I'm checking out on Jack of Hearts. What was what was it about that character? I I don't know. There, There was something,
1: and I think a lot of creators have this, or a lot of like big marvel and dc fans who become creators you have those characters that you read about as a kid or as yes. a teenager or whatever that you see untapped potential in that yes. you think like i can take this character like i already think he's cool and i can make him i can make everybody else see how cool he is sure and you know jack of hearts was one of those characters for me uh, and i think and for jeff johns too remember jeff johns put him in the avengers he did yeah he yeah. He, he, he was he, he shared that the jack of hearts love but yeah, it's just that it wasn't. Just, I remember Brian working on a, a pitch for the uh, the Rangers. Remember those Marvel I, characters? I don't even know what those are. It it was Texas Twister and okay. Shooting Star. Okay, now I know who you're talking about those sure. guys and him doing you know and just and that was we we still talk about to this day of of poring over Marvel Universe and who's who and finding these old characters that we can dust off and make cool again. Yeah. And, and I mean, there's still that going on. Uh,
0: you know, I was obsessed with power pack for yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, that
1: was, yep. I remember that. Yeah. And, yeah. and
0: the Marvel animals, I right. Like crazy. <laughs> yes. And I, I sort of, yeah, I use some of that stuff in the X babies mm-hmm. uh, miniseries, but yeah, we find our little thing yeah. that we sort of fixate on. And then your other idea, and I, I feel like we could talk about it now because she, Hulk's been done and redone a bunch of times. Oh, I and this was an exciting say. one. I yeah. thought it was a very cool take and it dovetails nicely. Is, is, uh, well, do you want to say what it was? If it's, I think, I forget what I
1: called it at the time. It went through a few, but Hard Cases, is that? I don't even remember what the title was. Was this just... She Hulk and Power Man? She no, Hulk and Luke Cage? It was She Hulk
0: and Ant Man. Oh, She Hulk and Ant Man, okay. Do you remember that one?
1: I guess. Man, All right, it was, I, okay. It's probably, well, go ahead and I'll tell you. Yeah. A... yeah.
0: And I think you probably maybe changed it for Frank because Frank okay. was obsessed with shrinking characters. Yes, you're totally
1: right. That is why. <laughs> okay. So
0: <laughs> it was, it was She Hulk was the lawyer. Right. And Ant Man was the PI, right? Because he right. could shrink down and sneak around and get information. Yes, that's
1: right. That's right.
0: And I thought that's pretty cool. And yeah. it actually do- it, it is it points a straight line at your I'm not going to say obsession, but mm-hmm. fondness for for TV detective. Yeah, yeah, stuff.
1: totally, totally. That's Spencer for hire. And yeah, yeah. Magnum and Rockford and all that stuff. Sledgehammer. Yeah. <laughs> I was never a huge Sledgehammer <laughs> yeah. fan, but yes, I. I, no, I remember I you mentioning
0: show. Rockford Files, and yep. I know that you yep. you were into that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. Why did that one go anywhere? It was... I
1: don't know. I I, I did change it. I guess Ant-Man was the first iteration, but then I changed it to... It was the same premise, but it was She-Hulk and Luke Cage was the ex-con private eye thing, and it was called Hard Cases was the the working title.
0: And And they're like, uh, you can't do that because that's a Malibu character? Yeah, no, it just (laughs) wasn't the title, but it
1: was just... It never... Yeah, I could never get anybody to bite. And then. You you weren't Bendis. Only
0: Bendis can do magic with Power Man.
1: But but then there's, you know, Dan Slott did that great She Hulk book, which, you know, was different tonally and stuff. But it was still She Hulk as a lawyer with with telling legal stories in the Marvel Universe, how that would work, what the legal precedents would be, and all that kind of stuff, which was, I thought he did an amazing job. Yeah, that was a fun series. It would have been fun. Yeah.
0: Now, what's interesting. About the fact that you and I talked about working on stuff is mm-hmm. Mark Powers once referred to us. You weren't there because you weren't in the office. Okay. Oh boy. But I would I would sort of talk <laughs> about things because there were certain instances, and I remember a specific instance on Generation that issue of Generation X, where you would given you know there was a plot, mm-hmm. and this was old Marvel style. Uh-huh. So I'd break things down, and right. it'd go back to you. And I remember I would write notes in the in the margins yeah. of where I thought dialogue would go. Right. <laughs> and you never followed those notes. <laughs> And and you know I I thought that that was like a, this should be a silent panel and it was whatever right. the case would be, right. and I would come into the office and be like uh, uh, can you believe this oh my God. <laughs> so Mark Powers dubbed us after working on two comic books together <laughs> as the new iteration of Claremont and Byrne oh my god <laughs> and I always thought that was very funny that is funny because we clearly we get along famously but I think we had just enough of a difference mm-hmm. in style mm-hmm. that. I, I wonder if we had kept working, if we would have had, like, a moment where we're just like, this is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I don't know. But hearing you say that, because I don't remember that at all. Yeah, yeah. Which makes talking to you fun, because you remember these things about that time in <laughs> my life that I've totally forgotten. <laughs> but hearing you say that now, like, I probably should have listened to you. I probably, oh, like, if we're working together now, right. I would probably trust your instincts more. That's one thing I've learned as a creator is to trust the artists more. Like, they're not just <laughs> a drawing machine. They have sensibilities and bring things to the table. Oh, shucks. So, no.
0: But that's—I I appreciate you saying that. But it also dovetails really nicely into you sort of dovetailing. and I gotta stop saying dovetailing <laughs> in, into working on the creator on stuff. Yeah, yeah. Starting with noble causes, mm-hmm. and then venture, and then and then yep. essentially the big three of that, and then Dynamo Five. Yeah. But there's a few things I want to talk to you about sure. about this stuff. So noble causes was the soap opera book you wanted to do. Right. 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 Like it was. Yep. You were getting all that stuff out of yeah, your system. Yeah,
1: It was everything. It was all character stuff with the fights kind of in the background mm-hmm. or, you know, occasionally. And it, it got, the fights got more prominent as the series went on, but... uh Now, but why? Yeah, did, was, why? I, I don't know if it was just, it, it was never conscious, I think. Okay. It, it just sort of happened organically as the series went on that I got more involved in in bringing more fight scenes and more saving the world kind of stuff into Superhero the series. Superhero stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it is just—I don't know. I, I just on and that book in particular, I would just kind of follow my whims in terms of what I wanted to do with it. Uh,
0: and then and I want to talk about the different books, but mm-hmm. one thing that I noticed, just watching like the solicit[s] come in on those books, mm-hmm. is you were getting good guys on these books. Yeah, good artists that nobody had ever heard of. Yeah, yeah. You were finding guys. Mm-hmm. How were you finding these guys? I
1: don't know. I mean, with noble causes. You know, we had a guy named Billy Dallas Patton draw the very first issue, and things didn't work out with him, and then I found Pat Gleason, and I knew Pat through Brian. Brian okay. had met Pat, I believe, at one of the San Diego conventions we had gone to back when we were all doing lots of Marvel and DC stuff, mm-hmm. and Pat was there with his little, you know, he was, Jesus, like a teenager at the time, maybe, or like 20, and he, had, he knew Doug Monkey, or Mankey, I think you pronounce his name. And you can see a a stylistic similarity between those guys. And and Doug had kind of taken Pat under his wing a little bit. And Brian had Pat draw, he did an X-Men Unlimited or something. One of those, one of like the anthology Anthology things. Pat did one of those. And then when I needed a new artist on Noble Causes, well, actually, Pat was involved with Noble Causes from the start. But the book was originally going to be a split format, like a... 18-page lead story and then like a... Or no, I think it was 15-page and a five, and an 8-page backup. Pat was going to do the backups every month. Uh, but when Billy didn't work out, I brought Pat up to do the lead story. And we had backup stories by different artists each issue. But it was just... With Pat was luck. That was like a personal connection. Mm-hmm. And then everybody since him were people I've found online in everything I've worked on, uh, creator-owned-wise. Uh, and it's just a matter of finding blogs or DeviantArt and looking at guys who not only have good work, but have like recent work mm-hmm. and have a lot of work. It's not just pinups guys who, who post a lot of sequential work. So I know that like they're hungry and they're dedicated and this is what they want to do. It's right. not like, Oh, here's somebody with five sequential pages that they posted a year and a half ago. And you know, they're a bunch of pinups. Yeah. And a bunch of pinups or nothing mm-hmm. like, I, you know, the guys I've worked with Mahmud on, on dynamo five and yield array on, on, yeah, on noble causes later. These are all like hungry, Talented, driven guys that yeah. I was able to find and you know hold on to before they went on to bigger and better things. Well,
0: that's that's okay. So before we get to the I'm holding ahead on of to, myself, I'm no, sorry. no, you're not, you're not. So and this, you, I don't. Again, I've had this. I've said the, almost the exact same. I don't need to know numbers, but mm-hmm. you were paying these guys out of pocket, uh, or was it?
1: Yeah, with I'm trying to think. With Noble Causes, it it, it varies book to book. Noble Causes, I owned entirely, so that book. Started out that everybody got a page rate, and you know, for the for initially, the book made enough that I could meet that. Mm-hmm. But then after a while, yeah, I was paying for them out of my own pocket, and uh, then we would renegotiate deals, and you know, they'd take pay cuts. And if one artist would leave, and I'd get another one, I'd hire him for less, and, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. But they had, they always had like some kind of guaranteed rate, whether it was a, a page rate or a percentage. And there were times where yeah, I had to, I had to pony up money from myself. But the way I rationalized that was always, I owned it entirely. Yeah. So if there ever was any kind of movie deal or any licensing thing, like that's all me. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, all yeah. comes to me. Uh, and I don't have to share it with anybody. Um, and then with Dynamo five, Mahmoud and I shared ownership on that. So he didn't get a, a set rate either. And the colorist we used just got a percentage. It was like X amount of dollars or a percentage of the profits, whichever is greater. Right. That kind of thing.
0: So then while this is all happening, I mean, at this point, the the Marvel DC work, had sort of s- slowed yeah, considerably. It, yeah, yeah. Were yeah. you taking on other writing jobs? Were you... Uh,
1: no, I... Let's see, what year was it? It was like 2003 or so is when I got another a day job, finally. I was making a living as a comic book writer from like 99 to 2003, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And then I took a day job, and it was hard. It was... I was... It what felt was like the day job? The the first one was just like a data entry thing at some temp agency that uh, a friend of mine worked at in Seattle, and she got me a job there. And I worked there for about a year. And then then I took a job as the office manager at a real estate appraisal company. And after working there for a year or two, I became a real estate appraiser. And that's what I what I did up until like a year and a half or two years ago. Really? And that was great because I, the money was really good. I worked from home, set my own hours. I mean, I wasn't self-employed. I was employed by a company, yeah, yeah. But I worked out of my house, and it was very much like being self-employed. And I could set my own hours, and and you know, if I needed to write an issue of Dynamo Five, I could just not take appraisals that day and stay home and write, and uh, it was great. And and as I started to say, it, it was it was hard to do. Like I didn't want to admit it to my comic book friends that like sure. I, it, it was a defeat, you know. But then I. I looked at it as a different way. I kind of had like a epiphany too strong a word, but I was happier having steady income and only writing stuff. I really love to write than having no steady income and having to scrounge for stories, you know, like, uh, Marie McTeague was feeding me stuff from Harris. I was doing Vampirella stories here and there and just stuff like that. Or, you know, wild storm fill-ins or one shots and stuff that, you know, I wasn't passionate about to 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 yeah. put it mildly. You know, it wasn't I wasn't phoning it in, but it also wasn't something I had a burning desire to write. And so it became liberating to have this day job that provided me a life's living, and then the writing was just pure creative expression,
0: and yeah. it was it was nice. And I imagine the day job helped pay for some of the the artists. Yeah, and, way, and yeah when necessary, were... yeah,
1: yeah. But I tried not to. I tried to structure deals so that I didn't have to actually pay guys out of pocket. Sure. That the books would at least pay for. My sacrifice was I didn't make any money on it personally. Like as a, as a, I didn't take a writing fee yes. on Dynamo Five, for instance. Although there was there were issues where I did where we had enough money where I got paid as well. But yeah. uh, um, but if somebody didn't have if somebody couldn't get paid, it would be me. Right.
0: Right. Way. Do you think that part of that that epiphany, just to keep using that word, sure,
1: <laughs> better than dovetail.
0: Sure. Yes, it is. <laughs> Do you think that came from? The experience of doing the creator own stuff to sort of get that you get the taste mm-hmm. of of this feels better than right even New Warriors or whatever right. pet project you thought you wanted right. to do right yeah it was that and it was I think
1: just growing up a little yeah. bit and and just uh, yeah just realizing that this stuff that that I just had a better quality of life living that way and having a job that the other thing that was nice about having a day job like that is that it wasn't creative in the least. It was strictly like analytical appraising houses. You'd go out and you'd measure the house and you'd take pictures of it and write up a report. And then that was, that was it. There was no, I, I didn't have to exercise those creative muscles. Uh, and it freed me up to, to use that solely for writing.
0: So let's talk about some of these creative sure, works sure. and the experiences of them, mm-hmm. particularly venture only because yeah. when I spoke to Jamal, right. His experience was not the greatest. It wasn't yeah. that sort of epiphany of creator-owned work. It yeah. was this is this is I love it so much that it hurts because mm-hmm. it's not the thing. Right. That you you sort of right. You seem to have had a different experience, whether it was you know, with all your your projects because you've kept doing them. Right. Um, what was the experience of venture like? Right. Well, I guess it's different uh,
1: for me. Venture. It was kind of we just got off on the wrong foot, and not Jamal myself, but. Image and me and Jamal, I guess. In the sense that when we were approached by Jim Valentino to, to pitch Jamal and I to pitch something. I mean, I forget exactly how it came about. But Jim was planning to do like a, a new superhero line of comics from Image. Right. And he approached a bunch of creators. Like Dan Jurgens was involved at one point. Fabian Niseiza. Niseiza. was That's was how involved? I've understood it. Yeah. yeah. A bunch of guys. And it was, I think, Jim's original idea was to do it as a, like a brand new universe that had never seen superhumans before. It, it was at the ground floor, the start of a new universe of things. And we could never get on the same page. I, I remember I think it was Dan Jurgens specifically wanted to do like a second generation superhero who was, you know, the relative of like a World War II era superhero, that kind of stuff. And that didn't really work within, within the framework of a new universe. And it just, so it never really came together in the sense of having a, so so Venture, when Jamal and I came up with this, was created from the idea of the Venture character was somebody who had been a superhuman for a long time, a very long time as it turns out, but who no one one knew about. So he, the first issue or two, the people react to him as if they've never seen a superhero before, never seen anybody fly before, And, and then by the time the books get published and come out, for one thing it was never really a superhero line. It was just a couple books that got launched.
0: It was four, right? It was four, yeah. It was, it and was one of them was
1: Dragon It was Firebreather. Firebreather. Adventure yeah. and uh Clockmaker, I think, or Clockwatcher been, or whatever he was called. Right, it was Kruger's a Jim book. Kruger thing. And then Invincible. And,
0: and Invincible, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh I like how that's the like oh yeah and then and then, the, and Invincible. And then and other, also Invincible. That other,
1: that other forgettable <laughs> book. Yeah. And Invincible, as you can see, took place in a world full of superheroes, and yes, and, and so it, that's it, true. it really, and so you've got Invincible, who's the son of the superhero, and all these superheroes flying around, and then yeah. you got Venture, where people are acting like he's flying. How is that possible? Right, like, right. It's it just uh, so in that sense, it, it was. That's why I say we kind of got off on the wrong foot because Jamal and I had at that point kind of embraced the idea of a universe in which no superheroes had ever existed before, and we also there was also the. The idea that Image would front us money, like Hmm. it wasn't exactly a page rate, but it was an advance to keep, you know, because part of the reason Jamal and I had different experiences is just the differences between writers and artists. Because that's all Jamal could work on; he had to put all his eggs in that basket because it's just the reality of how long it takes to draw a comic. Whereas I could still write other things. So, you know, Jamal, I think he made money on like the first two issues maybe and then image was sales came in and image was like oh yeah we can't do that advance anymore that's we're, we're cutting that off and you know we eked out two more issues and that was it yeah you know we had to change colorists and letterers and the fourth issue had like jamal was barely involved we had yeah, fill jim in drew. Our, yeah jim drew <laughs> some some other guys drew some and yeah it really just kind of went out with a whimper
0: and uh yeah it's a shame yeah it is the shame mostly for, uh, almost for Jamal's sake, who yeah. really was soured. I mean, it's yeah. like such a talented guy to mm-hmm. sort of have an experience like, oh, man. Yeah, I know. It sucks. It, yeah. it does.
1: Uh, and it's, again, it, that's it's just the thing with, I mean, when you do a book at Image, it's always my advice to people that, like, you, you've got to build a nest egg before that. Like, you've got to go in expecting low sales at first and hope that you can build up a readership. Yeah, rather than starting strong and just having smooth sailing. Like you've got to – because if all you can put out is four issues and then you realize you can't – the sales aren't there, like it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And, and I didn't know this then. It, hindsight's twenty twenty, But now when I produce – when I create books, like with Near Death, my current series, it's – like we were all committed, everybody on the creative team, Image, to give it a year. Like we, we had the deal worked out and the, you know, economics and everything where we can do this book for a year – and just let it build an audience in that time. And yeah. uh, it's, it's just, you've got to play the long game.
0: Well, no, I've, I've had that same conversation where there's something about consistency on the stands. Yeah. Yep. That builds, I don't know if it's a sense of trust with the reader that this thing's going to stick around mm-hmm. and you're not wasting your time. Right. right. Which is interesting. If we could go on a TV segue. Sure, sure. If I'm not mistaken, you enjoyed the show Terrier's. Yeah, because oh, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah, I loved it. I yeah. couldn't get enough of it. I was telling a friend of mine, "You got to watch this show." And he constantly mm-hmm. says, "I got him. I've got him on TiVo." Right. I haven't watched him yet. I'm like, "You got to watch this oh, show. Oh, I see where this so is So good." And and yeah, they they made the announcement. It got canceled. And I remember I was on the phone with them. I'm like, "Have you watched these?" like, know I deleted them all. <laughs> like, what do you mean? He's like they canceled it. Right. And we had this long conversation about why would you delete the episodes just because it got right. canceled. Right would that mean you'd never have watched Freaks and Geeks because it got canceled? Right, right. It's like, no, you go back and you watch it because it's, yeah. it's a great Firefly, run. yeah, yeah. You know, whatever show you like, Yeah, you watch it for the time you can watch it, whether it yeah. lasts three years or three episodes. Exactly. So going back to what we were talking mm-hmm. about, that, that consistency, I don't understand it, though. Yeah. I, I don't either.
1: I mean, I think it's just... I mean, as you pointed out, it, it exists in places other than comics, but I think it's yeah. it's really prevalent in comics i think because they're so used to like batman and superman are always going to be there you yeah. always have those books why would i invest in this other book if it's going to get canceled within six issues and there's that like,
0: commitment to continuity and does oh, it matter God, which is exhausting started yeah <laughs> well maybe we'll come back to that because yeah. it's it is it's incredibly frustrating oh, as a as sickening. a yeah. concept <laughs> and, and an when i see
1: to... a book solicited as an incontinuity story of such and such. Yeah. I just want to shoot myself in the face.
0: And it, it actually, it's not even that recent a thing. When you look yeah. back on, on the, the initial launch success of something like Valiant. Right. Like it all hinged on everything's connected and everything right. relates right. to everything else. Right. So when they solicit something like Defenders. Yeah. And all due respect to the guys working on Defenders, mm-hmm. but when it's like this book is gonna explain the Marvel Universe. Right. It's like I don't want you to explain the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Just tell me a good like, story. Yeah. yeah. Just is it cool? W- right. Or spinning off into like digress. comic shop talk. So, yeah, totally. Uh, yes. Bitter uh, guys. Yeah. Oh, stop. We can be bitter all we want. <laughs> I've been accused of that before. <laughs> all right, so let's go back to Well, how many issues did, did Noble Causes run? Uh It was pretty good, 40, right? Forty, I think. That's a pretty good run. Yeah. Yeah, I think Dynamo Dynamo,
1: f- it was 40, but it was actually closer to 50, I think, because there were there were like three miniseries than an ongoing that lasted 40. So it was, yeah, it was a healthy run. It was and like eight Dynamo years 5 of my life. went
0: pretty good. Dynamo 5 couple was of
1: years. 25 issues plus a five-issue miniseries after that. So, yeah, they were both pretty healthy runs. As
0: as- um, now, did you notice, because yeah, the stories are told about Kirkman did Walking Dead before the numbers picked up and right. Invincible before his numbers picked up, and Chu sort of hit with a bang. Right. But it built over time. Right. Was that your experience? Were things building or was it just a steady audience? It through? has
1: not, sadly. And I have not had that happen yet.
0: Uh, noble Causes
1: started strong and tapered off. We may have seen some peaks with like relaunches or a new artist mm-hmm. or something here and there. But it was it was pretty steady. And traditional comic book tradition Traditional trajectory. steady decline. Steady slow yeah. decline. And Dynamo 5 was the same thing. Dynamo 5 actually, I think the first issue was ordered and then like, Orders on two or three maybe went up a little bit because we sold out quickly and sold out issue two. But then from there on, it was fairly steady and then declined.
0: And I say typical because I don't want to paint a picture of like these books were anything other than, right. you know, well, I mean, they ran yeah. over two <laughs> years each yeah, series. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like you can you can poo-poo them when, right. I mean, right. there's something to be said for yes. traditional market decline right. and not right. crap on you as a creative yeah, person yeah, no, and your team's. It. So let's let's we're gonna bounce back again mm-hmm. to the artists. Yes, the artists you found. Yes, the artists you worked with. Yep. And it's not a delicate term, but the poaching of artists. I am DC's farm team. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> uh, so you said it better than I could. Um. And and I've talked to other people that work over at Image who have had guys poached. Yeah. So to speak. Poach mm-hmm. is probably the wrong yeah, word. Yeah. It's. Because it's everything's it's it's an open, it's a freelancer. Exactly. Go, these the artists, I don't own them. Yeah. They're,
1: uh, DC and Marvel can pay them a hell of a lot more than I can, sadly. So I don't blame them.
0: But there's got to be a part of you that's just like, come on. It, <laughs> part of it, I guess
1: what, what frustrated me at times were DC or Marvel editors, DC especially, who would be more than happy to work with these artists, but throw me a story, no. You know that yeah. uh, that would not uh you know I could even get a phone call returned. But, I never even uh, thought of that. Angle. Oh yeah, but but they would be more than happy to to obviously reading my books and seeing these artists. Or at least flipping through or them. Or at least flipping through them. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that was the only sensitive spot, but uh, I
0: could see that being a definite Yeah. Cuz that's that's almost it's like a double ego shot. Yeah. It's a little shitty. Where on the one hand you're like, "Oh, you like my taste in artists right. and you're ignoring me." Right. Right. For what exactly. I do, not just picking artists. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I just restated everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> so now, when you bring new artists in, or like with, with near death, mm-hmm. are you are you gun shy or you can't be? Um, not really. I mean, uh,
1: Simone, we have, and I think it's spelled Simone. I don't know if you pronounced it Simon. I've never talked to him, but I say Simone. So maybe you've never wrong. talked to him? It's nope. all email and. All email. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there are guys, I've worked with uh colorist named Ron Riley for, uh, Jesus, over five years, never spoken to him. Uh, I mean, I'm going to digress email.
0: again, but I just remember back in the old days, like we'd be on the phone. Yeah. I mean, granted, half the time we're talking about real world Seattle. <laughs> That's right. But we would be on the phone for like an yeah. hour and a half, uh-huh. just like mm-hmm. rambling. Yep. Yep. Much like we are now. Sort of <laughs> yeah. like what we are now, except now I have a clipboard with, with Yes, I know. It's much more points. structured, and I'm holding a yeah. microphone. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's amazing to me, the idea that, yeah. I mean, I guess it happens all the time, yep. that guys just might not ever speak a word to each other. Yeah. Yeah. There were, when I worked with Mahmoud
1: on Dynamo 5, we never, I think we spoke once because we were on a podcast together. And that okay. was the first time I heard his voice. Yeah. And he was very shy because he wasn't sure if his English was good enough. And yeah. Where is he from? I forget where he was born, but he lives in Turkey. He's, he's killing he's, he's, it on he's Super Austrian. Girl. Yeah. He's fantastic. He's amazing. And a, and a great guy. And I should say, you know, I hope it's inferred, but the, or uh, implied, that these, you know, Mahmoud, Yilduray, everybody I've ever worked with who have gone on, Pat Gleason. Yeah. No hard feelings on my end whatsoever. Like, yeah, these I think guys that's, deserve, yes you know, I, I don't the, the acclaim they're getting. I'm otherwise. incredibly proud of them. I consider them friends. It's, uh,
0: it's yeah. awesome. Uh, Everybody's got to start somewhere. Yeah, exactly.
1: I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but but get, to answer your question, with with Simone on Near Death, I think we have him locked into a year. I think it was the deal was like if you leave this book before a year is up, you forfeit co ownership of it. Ah, so smart. So yeah, so he he's welcome to leave, but then if if it you know he doesn't get any movie deal time right. money or anything right. like that. If Near Death becomes a TV happen? series,
0: yeah. yeah, which how much would that just put a bee, a bee in your bonnet? It uh, it it could it could of uh, course. <laughs> I'm just saying knowing knowing your. Affection for TV and your affection for TV crime fiction mm-hmm. and the nature of near death, like that'd be quite a bow. It's yeah, on, it's on a it's package. it's it's set up that way.
1: Yeah. I mean although it's also not one of those thinly veiled TV pitches. Yeah. It's a comic first. Well, I mean I think and will always be a comic.
0: I think you are enough of a fan of comics. Yeah, totally. And and the history of this stuff and the and the characters that I don't think I mean, I've not heard you accused of being a guy who's, who's making comics to get into TV. Yeah. No. For that matter, we'll go right into it. Your path to getting into TV, mm-hmm. and now you're on the staff of Ringer, yeah. was not comic-based at all.
1: Yeah, not really. Yeah, it was a Warner Brothers workshop. It's called a workshop. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a program that Warner Brothers develops uh, for to find new TV writers and to, to develop them as, as talent. And uh, I got in based on a burn notice spec that I wrote. And... Yeah, I mean, I think having a background in comics helped sure. uh, just going to the, you know, at the interview stage and everything. But it they had no idea who the hell I was. It, it's not like they read my comics and thought, we've got to get this guy. Right. It was right. based on the strength of my, my TV sample.
0: I, I wanted to get that out just to sort of almost break the fallacy of, <laughs> you know, hey, you write comics and you break into these. Because I feel like so many people are, think that's what you do. Right. Yeah. So Comics many... was never
1: a stepping stone for yeah. me. If it, is, if it was,
0: I wouldn't be doing Near Death
1: right now. Right. I'm in TV. I don't, I don't want to spend, you know, I, I could do with having every weekend off, but instead I spend at least one weekend a month working on Near Death. Yeah. Because I love it.
0: So let's talk about the, the, the Warner Brothers mm-hmm. writing program. What, what, is, what is it? In, like, what are they? Is it like school?
1: It's, it's a. Uh, it meets once a week uh, after work. Basically, it, it starts at. I think 637 and it runs for like 3 hours a week 3 or 4 hours and it uh mm-hmm. it's kind of a boot camp for TV writing part of it you know the, the first couple weeks are lecture series you get lectures from different people a different you know a showrunner and a, a director and uh the head of the workshop was a TV writer is now a current executive at Warner Brothers so he's he's very experienced so mm-hmm. sometimes it's just him talking to you and uh it's the workshop itself i think we had Ten people, there were nine writing entities because two of those people were writing teams. Okay. And uh, shortly after you get into the program, after the first few weeks, you're assigned. You have to write a new spec. They give you a list of current TV shows, and you can pick one. And then you just go through the process of writing it. And, like, first you have to pitch your idea for the episode. You have to bring in, like, a couple different log lines for an episode. I did Justified. And I pitched, I think, three or four ideas the kind of group decided on which they thought was the best one. Then I had to write a one-page summary of what that episode would be. We kind of workshopped that a little bit the following week. The week after that, I would turn in an outline, which is like a 10, 15-page document outlining the whole story with act breaks and different scenes and stuff. That would get workshopped. You get notes from the group and from the instructor, and then you'd write the script, and then that would get workshopped, and you'd do, you know, I probably did three maybe even four drafts of the script. And then that script got sent out to different Warner Brothers showrunners who who wanted a writer. Because the the advantage of the Warner Brothers program is that it, they want to get you jobs on Warner Brothers shows. And the, the incentive is that the workshop will pay your salary. So, you know, my first 13 episodes on Ringer, I didn't cost Ringer anything. Warner mm-hmm. Brothers was paying me. So I was a free writer for them. And then if they want to keep me after the first 13, then they have to start paying my salary. Warner Brothers doesn't cover me anymore. Yeah. So it's great. It's a nice incentive to get new writers' work. And uh, and it was great. I went on meetings for a couple different shows and uh, ended up on Ringer. Uh, and the other shows I went, I interviewed on, were either shows that ended up getting canceled or were pilots that ended up not getting picked up. And with Ringer, I just lucked out. And yeah. everybody in, in our group of, of nine writing entities, all but one, got staffed. So it's a pretty good success rate. And uh, yeah, it's a great experience.
0: Now, how different is the workshop experience mm-hmm. from the writer's room? Uh, like, are they, are they trying to recreate that? They, they, do try to,
1: they do try to recreate that when you're actually workshopping your scripts. They, you know, you give notes and, and stuff, but it's, there are aspects that are a little similar, but it's the, the workshop is a lot more polite I guess and people are very like, oh, no, no, no you go first. And, uh, oh, that's an interesting idea. And the real writer's room is a lot more just lots of people talking. And, you know, you got to pick your moments where you can get a word in edgewise. And it's, and it's different because this experience in the workshop, we're all, you know, I went home and wrote my outline for my justified spec on my own. Whereas on Ringer... And, and most shows that have a writing room, you break each episode together as a as a room. You you all come up with, you know, we have big whiteboards and we talk out each episode in excruciating detail. It takes minimum of a week, sometimes two weeks, to, to break each episode. And then once it's broken, you, you, we have the writer's assistant who's in there taking detailed notes and show email the notes to everybody. And the writer assigned to that episode goes off and writes the outline. But you know, you've already got five pages of notes there so it's just a matter of fleshing them out fleshing out the beats you've already talked about into an outline so in that sense it's much more collaborative than the workshop where i go off at home and work out my justified story by myself and bring it in and get notes from people
0: but it's still i mean it it, it was good preparation for sure now you use the expression breaking a story yes which is an expression i've heard a bunch of times i've used it Mm -hmm. i'm not sure i know what it means. The impression I get is breaking a story is working out all the kinks, mm-hmm. figuring out act one, act two, act three. Yeah.
1: Act four, act five. <laughs> <laughs> in TV, there are teaser. We do teaser and five now. It's, uh,
0: so that's, that's based so it's really on commercial breaks. breaks. Yeah, based on commercial breaks. Okay. Yes. Yep. So it's yep. not like a three-act structure, like a right. drama. Yeah, it's
1: weird. There is a, a figurative three-act structure, yep. but there is a literal six-act structure because there's a teaser and five acts and each act is yeah, broken up by a commercial break.
0: And then when something yeah. is serialized, there's an even bigger arc beyond that. Right, right. Without what, giving anything away, I interrupted you. Well, you well
1: yeah, but just to answer your question about breaking an episode, yeah. that means tomorrow we start breaking the season finale for Ringer. And it means, I mean, there are already balls, you know, in motion for that. You know, we we know obviously what stories we have to pay off and everything, but we still don't know exactly what the episode is. We know where it's going to end. We know the big reveals and the big climaxes and everything. But it's literally, what's the first scene in the teaser? What's the second scene in the teaser? Mm -hmm. What's the first scene in act one? All of that gets talked out with, and it's, it's rare that all the writers are in the room at the same time. Like tomorrow we start prep on my third episode of Ringer, which means I have to do meetings with like casting and wardrobe and go on a location scout and all that stuff. While they're breaking the episode. And then when I'm not in those meetings. I'll be in the room helping to break it. So it's it's talking out the episode. Start to finish. In like I said excruciating at, at times. Detail. Every single beat of every single act. You know what's the most compelling act out. What's the most compelling way to tell this story. All that stuff. And then once you're finished with that. The episode's broken. And then you go off to outline it. And once you're off to outline it. Whoever's left in the writing room. In the writer's room starts breaking the next episode and it just turns over like that.
0: So then it brings up the next question. Okay. You're working on the finale. Right. Now, when, when was the, the sort of end game? Was it figured out from day one? Was it figured out when you got the back nine? It's, it's Which, a little industry talk back nine is episodes 14 to 22, right? right? Yes, yeah. Correct. Yep. I know uh, things. I read, yeah, I read that, stuff. At that.
1: Um, the, uh, on a show like Ringer, and obviously it's my only experience, the the creators uh, Eric Carmelo and Nicole Snyder, when they wrote the pilot, I, I think part of their you know, in an effort to get the pilot picked up, they had to create a series bible, and it was a it's like a fifteen page document that talks about the show and the themes and each character and why they're important and what their backstory is and and where things go over the course of the year in in very broad strokes, mm-hmm. and and in that I believe it was even in in that document it had lined out you know what will happen in the finale what we're building towards again in very broad strokes sure and and they did this all on their own this is pre hiring any other writers so then when they hired the writers we all would talk out in a group kind of based on that document how to proceed and what the first episode is and the second episode and all that stuff and we had whiteboards on all four wall or actually three walls of the writers room and some of them were used to break the current episode and m- the others are used to kind of chart each episode. We kind of, once we break an episode, we kind of fill in what, hap- what are the major points in that episode to kind of chart where things are going. So, yeah, I mean, we, we had a very rough idea on where things were going, and it got more firmed up as we went on. And at one point, it might have been when we, they were deciding to give us a back nine or not, we had to create an endgame document for, for the network and for the studio of where we're going, how we're getting there. And I actually wrote those, I mean, based on what I knew in the room. And then, yeah, so we, we know the three or four big reveals that will be in the finale, and it will. And we have been working in the last couple episodes on setting up kind of big stories that will carry over into the second season. So will the finale will be very cliffhangery? It's not going well, to be all... That whole show is cliffhanger. Yeah. Uh, somebody uh, on Twitter was like, you know, I hope you construct the finale in a way that if you don't get a second season, it'll be satisfying. And and say this to them, but I'm like, yeah, there's no way that's going to happen. We're not, we can't tie everything up into a bow. It's, it's yeah. not the nature of this show. It's so serialized and thrillery and cliffhangery that it, it's, yeah, it's going to be a big cliffhanger. And if we get canceled, we get canceled. When do you find that out? If we get canceled,
0: yeah,
1: um, I, I don't know. In a perfect world, we would know at the end of this season. Yeah. They would say, you know what, you guys are doing such a great job. But they wait for the upfront and all that. That's probably what will happen, which is, which means means May. So I spend our whole hiatus having to go on job interviews for other shows, just in case, just in case I don't get picked up on Ringer.
0: Yeah, little oh, bully. Yeah, um, it's a bit stressful. Now, what's interesting about the show, in terms of you talking about cliffhangers and, and building these cliffhangers, mm-hmm. is unlike a lot of shows that seem that seem to be like the trend of just building the mystery bigger and bigger, right? You guys have this like rumbling, rolling, yeah. like things are getting resolved, but then yeah. just something else yeah. comes up. Right. I don't think there's even a question here except to say it's impressive that, that – because it feels like it just keeps speeding up and more. Like, yeah, yeah, we we
1: try to resolve stuff, but it's – but yeah, at the same time, you know, every question leads to – or every answer leads to more questions and, and to keep things yeah, going. Yeah. And it's – yeah, it's a conscious effort because we don't want to be – lost where they just introduce more characters. Like, oh, here's the others. Oh, here are these people on a freighter. And here's like they just keep throwing more stuff into the mix right to make it interesting. Which is you know, I understand the inkling to do that. It it's it's like, what can we do to, to jazz things up? Like, oh what if there's these other characters?
0: But I feel like nothing jazzes you up more than giving you a little bit yeah, yeah. Of, of a taste of a thing. Right. And then saying, oh but this next thing might taste better. Right. <laughs> I read on the internet. Oh, it must be true. Well, we're gonna find out. All right. That originally that you started college as an illustration major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wanted to. I in high school, I wanted to be an artist. When was the last? What's the last thing you drew? Uh,
1: I haven't drawn anything seriously in Jesus twenty years. I mean, since since college. Yeah, yeah. It's so uh, clearly you don't miss it. No, I never had the patience for it. I mean, I may have had some base talent that maybe I could have developed further if I had had the, the discipline to like spend hours and hours on a drawing. But in my first semester of school, the art majors, I mean, I was one of them, would be in the art studio, you know, working on their projects late at night. And I just want to go watch TV or go to the party. I just <laughs> like, and I realized because like, I want to be a comic book artist. Yeah. That was what I wanted to do. And I, re- I had an instructor tell me at the end of the semester, you know, if you want to learn how to draw comics, you're gonna to have to learn how to draw. And that hit me, you know, like a thunderclap, and it just made me realize that you know, the only reason I wanted I was doing my own comics in high school, and is it, because I wanted to write comics, and I had nobody draw them, so I would just draw them myself. Yeah, and I really wanted to tell stories, and that's just what I I switched majors and was much happier as an English major.
0: Now I'm interested in this only because I the question I always have for comic book writers specifically, mm-hmm. why are you writing comic books? Because it's and I understand the 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 nature of collaboration. Right. And this is probably going to hit back to the, the, the modern era Claremont and Byrne. There's a part <laughs> of me that just doesn't understand it. Because I write and I draw. And right. I can write and draw my own stories. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand if you can write and you love comics, mm-hmm. that's two separate things. Right. But writing a comic that you then can't draw, unless right. you're lazy and you don't want to draw. Right. Which I've experienced. <laughs> like, I've never understood the desire to write comics. Because mm-hmm. it's so much of it is the visual... And and creating that the page and the layouts and all this stuff. Yeah. So so knowing that at some point you were drawing, sort of helps explain it. Mm-hmm. But you never, as far as I know, I never saw a plot with thumbnails. Yeah, no. And there are guys that do that. Right. Yeah.
1: Brian used to do that, I think. Really. On. I
0: th- or no, no, it was
1: Jeff Johns. He I don't think he does anymore. But there were he used to at least I believe he would thumb out his his stories. Yeah.
0: Which I could say as an artist would be completely annoying yeah that's what i always thought except if it was something i didn't care about and i just needed to just get it done right (laughs) because it's either the fun part or the tedious part is to use the expression breaking a story Mm -hmm. breaking the yeah doing the breakdown of the panel progression and all that it can either be a thrill right or completely tedious yeah so you never wanted to do that you never had that sort of like "Ah." no
1: i never even thought about thumbnailing it i mean wow I, i don't even like doing and i don't anymore but you know when i used to at Marvel and DC, you know, we would do balloon placements. Yeah. And I always found that incredibly tedious.
0: I was like, let the letterer do that. I'm sure he knows. He can he can figure that out. I suppose. Although I find that with balloon placements, it's uh, it's sound. Right. It's the closest thing you get to yeah. creating yeah. sound in comics. And sometimes the placement of a balloon right. and the length of the tail right. can affect how something quote-unquote sounds. True. Yes. Um, but I guess drawing the actual balloons and the lines... I guess that could be tedious. And a letterer should be able to do that. I think they they probably used to. Mm. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, on the guy who does Charles Pritchett, the guy who does all my stuff for Image, he does uh, does all that. I I never have any... I mean, sometimes I may ask him to change stuff. Like, oh, you know, this might look better here. Or could you make this tail longer and go down this way? But yeah, I never... I I like leaving it up. I mean, to answer your question, why comics? Why am I writing comics? Is that I just... I like... The collaboration. I like writing a story and seeing someone bring it to life. I mean it's the same I mean, it's kinda like why am I writing T V if I can't act or if I can't if I'm not directing. It's it's, Fair. it's to bring I like seeing what other people can do to like I like being part of the collaboration, telling a story and letting someone else draw it and seeing how they interpret it. Sometimes I'll have a very specific idea, like I think the camera angle, to use a term that we shouldn't really use in comics, <laughs> but uh, but everybody does. To yeah. The camera angle should be this, and we should be an upshot on the character. Sometimes I'll, I'll really step that out, but most times not. Most times it's like, you know, this character's doing this, and yeah. I let them, the artist, pick the angle and the shot and all that stuff. Yeah, um, and
0: again, I clearly asked the question as a cartoonist who, mm-hmm. you know... And
1: I appreciate it, because I always wonder, these guys who, you know, artists who have then become writers slash artists... Yeah. Who then just become writers and who don't even draw their stuff anymore. Yeah. That baffles me. Because I'm like, if you can draw, why aren't you drawing your own stuff? It just <laughs> frankly it just looks lazy. Where I'm like, you I, just
0: don't want to take the time. You'd just rather bang out a story in a weekend and I'm gonna say that's probably at the heart of it. Yeah. Because it takes so long. Mm-hmm. And I draw pretty quickly. Yeah. But it still takes a long time. And especially as the level of draftsmanship has constantly been ticked up. Right. You know, like People were drawing a certain way, and then Barry Windsor Smith and Neil Adams showed up, and it's yep. like, oh wait, we got to draw like this now. Yeah. And then George Perez shows up. Mm-hmm. and People keep ticking the bar. Totally. You know, George uh, Carlos Pacheco shows up. Yeah. And it's just like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. That's what things need to look like. Yeah. That somebody that draws like I do, which is cartoonier mm-hmm. and simpler, let's say. You know, it sort of it sort of puts you in a different category. Yeah. So to speak. And I think in some cases it's almost easier just to write the stories and let these guys who put in that crazy amount of time to do that right, stuff. Right. I'll let them do it. Yeah. No, I get it. You know, and, and because then you'll get somebody to bring up John Byrne again that they'll poop all over John Byrne because right. he's churning the stuff out. Mm-hmm. And you gotta sort of give it to the guy that he's still doing it. Yeah. Maybe he's not as nimble with his hand you know, whatever. Right. But he still does it. I just, just think like, it's it's the guys like a, again, all these guys that write and draw, Walt Simonson, yeah. Alan Davis. I mean, I don't think people even know he writes anymore. Alan, yeah. Because he hasn't written yeah. in so long, but right. his stuff is awesome. Yeah. And I guess I come from that school where I grew up seeing these guys who wrote and drew their own stuff. Right, right. Particularly Alan Davis, who I've been a huge fan of, yeah. and John Byrne. And I just, I almost sort of lean on that. It's like, yeah, I can do that too. Right. So why would, but I guess I that's foolish of me because there are plenty of guys that draw that don't write. Right. And everybody needs to find their yeah, yeah, their dancing partner, right? So to speak. Do you have any of your old artwork?
1: I do, and I was debating whether I want to show it to you or not because it is old and rough.
0: <laughs> I will leave that up to you.
1: I, I may show you after the fact.
0: Uh, I'll describe it. <laughs> Great. Once I get back and I, and I and I record the intro and outro, I'll be like, here's right. what it looked like, guys. <laughs> Or I'll just find some of my old artwork and be like, this was it.
1: Yeah. Well, that would probably be, be good.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I have some old stuff. You're like, oh, boy. Yeah. I know. Something you, tells me that would make me look good. You were reading a lot of comics in the <laughs> early 90s, weren't you? Because <laughs> <laughs> I have my period where I was oh, like, yeah. yes.
1: I, I have my Todd McFarlane period where characters are holding up panels and all that shit. Remember? Old remember? Enough, d- did panels? You, did you read Infinity, Inc.? I didn't. I, okay, I came on to it? Todd late. Okay, because when he drew Infinity Inc., it was crazy. Like there would be characters kind of in the gutters. Like it'd be a page about Obsidian, one of the Infinity yeah, Inc. Yeah, characters. Sure. And there's Obsidian like holding up the panels of the page, just like for no reason, just these crazy design things. But and I it, remember it was amazing.
0: my introduction to Todd McFarlane was Mike Barr and Alan Davis had done a run on Detective Comics. Yeah. Which is an awesome run. Yeah, yeah. It's like seven issues or something. Yep. And it ends with year two, and Alan did chapter one of year two, mm-hmm. and then the next three chapters are Todd. And I remember picking these up, because I was just buying the run, and the guy at the comic shop was like, this guy draws amazing capes. Yes. Yeah. That was the, that was, I was like, yep. okay, and I yeah. came home and read it, I'm like, these are amazing capes. Yep. They defied all logic. Totally. They totally. were just
1: shapes. But yeah, on Infinity Inc., he did the same thing. Uh, Fury and Obsidian had capes, and they were just crazy. They'd be like 15 feet long, <laughs> and yeah. It's a comic book, yeah, right? It should be, yeah. Rock and yes. roll, totally, totally.
0: Thank you, Jay Ferber. Yeah, is there that's anything it. we haven't covered? Time flies. Yeah, I'm trying to think. If, I'm looking at my list, seeing if there's anything that we didn't cover. I think we. I mean, yeah, I think we got everything. Right. Damn. All right then. I don't know. You got any questions for me? Yeah. When are we gonna see an image book from you? When are you gonna write and draw an image book? I pitched an image book years ago yeah. when they were doing that slimline format. Oh yeah. Twenty yeah, pages. Yeah. yeah. I pitched a book that would have been for girls, mm. girls 8 to 14. And uh, the reaction was, this will sell zero copies. Yeah, And I understood. Image doesn't know how to sell comics to an 8-year-old girl. Right. For the most part, I just don't think the things I come up with are, are image books. Mm. Well, but why not? I mean, anything's an
1: image book. Like...
0: Except they have a weird, depending on who's running the show, right? the criteria changes. True. I don't know if anything I want to draw right now, write and draw right now, would be something that Stevenson would want to publish. Hmm. Does that make sense? I guess, yeah. But he seems to have a pretty wide range yeah. of tastes. So yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. curious as to what. To but I don't know. I mean, the ideas I have tend to either be for an audience that image wouldn't reach, like girls. Right. And then there's other stuff that's just so far down the line that would take me so long to do. Yeah, You know, like a like a – graphic novel that could happen but it would take me so long to draw it because in my mind it's it's minimum 200 pages wow that it's just not gonna it would take too long you know i, I can't pitch it right now because there's other things i got to do and if i had all the time in the world i hear you or if i would just draw a lot faster <laughs> and not pair so you long. did seven pages in a week with a day job with what did. If? i did it's good shit i like image i like all the people there well, I know the advantage that the image has, that right. I yeah. is not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. There is a part of me that says, I can do this myself, right? Question mark. Oh, no, right, right. So. What you mean publish yourself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, other people have done it. Yeah. That's just me. Whatever. Thank you, Jay. J A Y, all the letters of his name. Cutting and scratching all the aspects of his game. So check out. How about that Jay Ferber flipping it on me, asking me the questions. Hey, I'll answer them. I'll answer the questions. I gotta, I gotta be able to, uh, to to get as well as I give. Is that the right way to say that? Let's cover some business. First order of business: I announced the contest a few episodes back. But if you leave a comment on iTunes, you're entered into this contest. You win a prize, a piece of art by me. I've got two winners the two commenters that left comments on iTunes named Heidi Thurman and Leticia Bargman, I want you to email me. Email me at stuffsaid at gmail.com. Email me an address. I will send you your prize. That's simple. If you're not one of those two people, you can still email me at stuffsaid at gmail.com. I don't promise a prize. I'll respond, barring any major incident. You can also go to the website, Stuff said show dot com Which you may be there right now Listening to this And you can leave a comment Under the uh, The show notes Which Speaking of show notes This episode Has got a bunch of them Some artwork Some links Some bonus audio That I mentioned in the intro Of Of Jay and I Talking about Ringer More specifically We talked about It's like two It's like three minutes The three minute chat About Ringer If you watch the show There are little nuggets in there There's some There's some neat stuff in there If you didn't watch the show, it's three free extra minutes of us chatting. As you know, you can listen to the show on iTunes, which you may be doing right now, or StuffSaidShow.com, which is also a possibility. There's also the Acme Wave Projector, AcmeWaveProjector.com, which is the podcast network to which this show belongs, and those are the guys down at Acme Comics in Greensboro. I just had an episode with Stephen Mayer. I was just down there for free comic book day. A good time was had despite uh, some rain that that cut the festivities off a bit early. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's the episode. That's what I got for you. And I guess that's about all the stuff I have left to say. See you next time.